0: me most, although it puzzles me that I was not prepared for this, was the remarkable degree of racial segregation that persisted almost everywhere. Like most Americans, I knew that segregation was still common in the public schools, but I did not know how much it had intensified. The Supreme Court decision in Brown v. Board of Education 37 years ago, in which the court had found that segregated education was unconstitutional because it was inherently unequal did not seem to have changed very much for children in the schools I saw, not at least outside of the Deep South. Most of the urban schools I visited were 95 to 99 percent non-white. In no school that I saw anywhere in the United States were non-white children in large numbers truly intermingled with white children. Moreover, in most cities, influential people that I met showed little inclination to address this matter and were sometimes even puzzled when I brought it up. Many people seemed to view the segregation issue as a past injustice that had been sufficiently addressed. Others took it as an unresolved injustice that no longer held sufficient national attention to be worth contesting. In all cases, I was given the distinct impression that my inquiries about this matter were not welcome. None of the national reports I saw made even passing references to inequality or segregation. Low reading scores, high dropout rates, poor motivation, symptomatic matters, seemed to dominate discussion. In three cities, Baltimore, Milwaukee, and Detroit, separate schools or separate classes for black males had been proposed. Other cities, Washington, D.C., New York, and Philadelphia among them, were considering the same approach. Black parents or black school officials sometimes seemed to favor this idea. Booker T. Washington was cited with increasing frequency Du Bois never, and Martin Luther King only with cautious selectivity. He was treated as an icon, but his vision of a nation in which black and white kids went to school together seemed to be effaced almost entirely. Dutiful references to the dream were often seen in school brochures and on wall posters during February when black history was celebrated in the public schools. But the content of the dream was treated as a closed box that could not be opened without ruining the celebration. For anyone who came of age during the years from 1954 to 1968, these revelations could not fail to be disheartening. What seems unmistakable, but oddly enough is rarely said in public settings nowadays, is that the nation, for all practice and intent, has turned its back upon the moral implications, if not yet the legal ramifications, of the Brown decision. The struggle being waged today, where there is any struggle being waged at all, is closer to the one that was addressed in 1896 in Plessy v. Ferguson, in which the court accepted segregated institutions for black people stipulating only that they must be equal to those open to white people. The dual society, at least in public education, seems in general to be unquestioned. To the extent that school reforms, such as restructuring, are advocated for the inner cities, few of these reforms have reached the schools that I have seen. In each of the larger cities, there is usually one school or one sub-district which is highly publicized as an example of restructured education. But the changes rarely reach beyond this one example. Even in those schools where some restructuring has taken place, the fact of racial segregation has been, and continues to be, largely uncontested. In many cities, what is termed restructuring struck me as very little more than moving around the same old furniture within the house of poverty. The perceived objective was a more efficient ghetto school, or one with greater input from the ghetto parents, or more choices for the ghetto children. The fact of ghetto education as a permanent American reality appeared to be accepted. Liberal critics of the Reagan era sometimes note that social policy in the United States to the extent that it concerns black children and poor children, has been turned back several decades. But this assertion, which is accurate as a description of some setbacks in the areas of housing, health, and welfare, is not adequate to speak about the present-day reality in public education. In public schooling, social policy has been turned back almost 100 years. These, then, are a few of the impressions that remained with me after revisiting the public schools from which I had been absent for a quarter century. My deepest impression, however, was less theoretical and more immediate. It was simply the impression that these